This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is Trish Critic, and today I'm joined by both Baron Kamdar and Dale Needham, who are the authors of today's article for discussion, Joblessness and Lost Earnings After ARDS in a One-Year National Multicenter Study. Dr. Kamdar is Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. And Dr. Needham is Professor of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine and Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Johns Hopkins University. Thank you both for joining us today. I really enjoyed reading your piece on joblessness after ARDS. And I would say I was maybe sobered but not surprised by seeing that nearly 50% of patients were who were employed prior to their illness were not employed at one year after their illness. So I thought that was obviously notable. I'm curious, Baron, if you want to comment a little bit, what are the other aspects of the study that you thought were particularly notable and aspects that you wanted to highlight for our listeners? Sure. Uh, first, thanks for having us, uh, Trish. I'm so excited to talk about this study. So prior investigations have explored this issue of employment after ARDS. And what this study adds is, is a much deeper analysis on employment as the primary outcome. And I think the major things that we found, number one, as you noted, that about half of these 386 survivors of ARDS were working or um, after they left the hospital. But more notably, of these 386 patients, approximately 70% of them ever return to work, which sounds quite good, but the concerning figure is that of those 70% who ever return to work, about one quarter of them subsequently lost their jobs over that year-long period. And that has not, to my knowledge, been described before in terms of returning to work and then subsequently losing your job. And the people who did subsequently lose their jobs either went into unemployment um, or had to go on, on disability which speaks to some possible issues in terms of impairments that they may have been having, which is something that needs to be explored further as far as why these people were not returning to work uh, or, or why they subsequently lost their jobs. The other component of this analysis was our, um, our estimation of lost earnings. I did a pretty deep literature search going back um, several decades to find any literature on earnings after intensive care, and I was not able to find any robust analyses uh, from which to build on. But we were interested in the economic impact of the survivors either being completely jobless or having some major um, hit to their, to their employment status, meaning that they were working less hours or had um, an, an occupation change. So I met with an economist from UCLA, Till von Wachter, who is, um, specializes in labor economics, and he guided me through this analysis and what we did is uh, we did not have patients, uh, survivors' tax returns, so we did not, not know their exact earnings, but we did an estimation based on, uh, on other economic models. And what we 
what we discovered was that approximately 70% of all of our survivors ever accrued some lost earnings over this year-long period. And amongst those who lost earnings, the average lost earnings was $27,000, which amounted to 60% of their pre-ARDS income, which um, is quite substantial if you think about just our day-to-day earnings and day-to-day expenditures. I think both those are really important aspects that I want to follow up on further. Dale, did you want to add anything to that before I have some follow-up questions? Sure. I think Bjorn had commented that among the almost 70% of people who ever returned to work over one-year follow-up, that a quarter of them subsequently lost their jobs. But in addition to that, almost half of those that ever returned to work never return to their previous number of weekly work hours. And almost one-third of them experienced a major occupation change. So there are even challenges among those people that return to work that, that really we can't detect unless we dig a little bit deeper and ask around the number of hours and, and the type of work happening. So it may seem like a success that almost 70% of people ever got back to work, but there's really much more to the story. And unfortunately, these additional details are relatively discouraging or, or help highlight the, the true magnitude of this problem. Yeah, I think both aspects give us more context on the deeper implications of the limitations that patients are experiencing after ICU admission. Um, I'm going to follow up actually on the part that you just talked about in terms of what they were doing. So as part of your follow-up on these patients, did you have a sense of a couple things? One, what those exact occupations were and I guess my my question is, are there certain occupations where we're seeing it's more challenging to return to work? And then secondly, maybe linking into this, the wages, did you have a sense of if these patients were the primary wage earner? As I think maybe that has some implications on return to work in terms of the impact of not being able to return to work or the decision not to return to work. So the occupation issue is, is very interesting. And we, um, we did have occupational categories. Every patient did uh, provide with their occupation. And it's a more challenging variable than, than uh, one would think because oftentimes the occupation that patients provide um, as part of a study uh, may not tell you exactly what they do. But that being said, we were able to categorize everybody's occupations into these 22 categories that, based on the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics. We did do our lost earnings analysis um, to account for occupation categories, and we didn't. We found that our lost earnings estimation was nearly identical to the earnings estimation that we that we present in the primary analysis, which in, involves hours working. And as far as looking at which types of occupations um, are more predisposed to joblessness um, subsequently, that is that is something that I think is an interesting question that, that we would like to explore in a in a future analysis. But but we didn't we did not look at that specifically in this analysis. But I do think that's an interesting question as far as, you know, if people are working more labor-intensive jobs, um, are they uh, having more trouble returning to work, having more physical impairments? And conversely, the, the you know, the, the survivors who have more desk-type jobs uh, where they might be sitting at a computer, um, are they uh, are the ones who are not returning to work having more cognitive issues? 
Um, these are things that, that are interesting questions moving forward. Exactly. That's exactly the kind of stuff that I'm curious about, particularly as we think about what the different impacts are, both cognitively and physically, of critical illness. Did you gather information on whether or not people were the primary wage earner for their family as part of the study? And do you think that has implications? I, I mean, g- given, given uh, my own family situation, I would, I would say that that is something that's relevant. Um, absolutely. Um, but uh, the, our survivors did not tell us whether they were the primary earners. Given that the vast majority of our, of our survivors were working full-time before ARDS, that at least speaks to the level of employment that they did have. But I think that's another very interesting question uh, is what contribution these lost earnings were having on their overall uh, financial situation at home. There are are many layers to finances in the house, not just the earnings from these survivors who may may not be returning to work, but also if their family members have to care for them and are they having to take a leave of absence from work and other finances related to the care that the patients may, these survivors may require. Um, so those are things that we um, we would love to explore, but, but we did not in this in this analysis. Fair enough. And I think we have more and more sense, a growing sense of the implications of the informal caregivers and the impact on their employment, which is obviously affected as well. Relevant to what you guys were saying before, um, one of the questions I had as I read was the time frame that you studied included the recession. And there obviously isn't a cohort of parallel folks that you compared joblessness to. Do you think that the fact that the time period included the recession has some impact on the numbers you had? And if so, how? And I guess the corollary to that is, should we be trying to have some type of control comparison cohort um, to better understand this? So I do think that's an important question. And it's a question that gets asked often in critical care research if we're trying to tease out, is this an effect of ARDS or is this effect of critical illness? It's often hard to find appropriate control groups for critical care studies. Certainly here, as you point out, we did not do a comparison to changes in uh, employment over one-year periods in a control group. And I do think that would be a great idea for future studies. We did recruit patients over a relatively long time period from 2006 to 2014, which allows us to have experienced sort of changes in in economic climate over time. And I think that that's important. So it's not just an isolated time period, but I think going forward, uh, studies should include that. But I think we all would agree that the magnitude of the changes that we've seen here couldn't be explained uh, by the general economy alone for those of us that that live and work in the United States and and have ideas about this. The magnitude of the change is simply too large to be uh, exclusively due to uh, the contemporary economic climate during the recruitment period. Agreed. I I agree. I think the magnitude clearly says this illness is impacting their lives downstream for quite a while. I wouldn't disagree. I just, in terms of assessing the degree of impact. I I would agree. That would be important, along with your question around primary caregiver. Again, to tease out some of the nuances, I think these are tremendously important questions going forward. One other thing that I wanted to follow up on a little bit, and you guys are going to have to correct me if I get the details wrong, but in your analysis, it seemed that age 
impacted return to work or joblessness in the non-white cohort differently than it did in the white cohort. So I'm going to ask you to extrapolate beyond the study a little bit and ask you what you think that means, Baron. Why, why do we see that? And do we need to, st I mean, we can say we can study it more, but I'm just kind of curious of what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so in, in our regression analysis, we found that two things were uh, significantly associated, were, were significant uh, kind of factors associated with delayed return to work. One of them was age, old, you know, older age in survivors who were not white, and the other one was longer hospital length of stay. And, and interestingly, gender and severity of illness were not risk factors things that you would consider to be risk factors um, or not. So as far as the, the, the age and the non-white survivors, that I, I, I don't have any detailed thoughts about that. You know, granted, our population was about 80% white. And so the, 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 the survivors who were not white was, you know, uh, were, were a smaller sample. But I think that this is at least a starting point in identifying some populations who maybe are at a higher risk of um, of joblessness after they leave the hospital, and I would be curious to, to see what other uh, risk factors we can find. Um, so, Trish, I, I do think that's an important question that our study doesn't have the answer to, but to, to speculate, there may be racial differences in the type of work that older workers were having, and that difference in their pre-ARDS work may have affected their ability to return to jobs, perhaps. Also, there may be racial differences in access to rehabilitation services, perhaps. Again, these are they're purely speculative, but I think that it is something important to dig into in future studies. And I think it's important in identifying target populations, patients that may be at most risk uh, and may need the most assistance with being able to return to work. I would agree, and I think that leads in nicely to some other questions I want to ask you about what do we do with these results. Before I go there, Baron, did you want to add something to the previous question? No, I, I think I think Dale nailed it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what's really interesting to me, and this is about next steps, is what do we do about this? What do we do when the patient's critically ill? What do we do to support patients, and I'd argue their families after they're discharged from the hospital. Um, what does this tell us about what populations we should be looking at more carefully? And I think the answer is all the answers are not in this one study, but I'm curious, as you two have kind of been living this, what are your thoughts about where do we go from here? And I'll ask you each individually. So, Biren, first, you tell me, where do we go from here? And then I'll have Dale add to that. So, this whole post-intensive care syndrome issue has really been a, a, you know, been a big headline over the past probably at least five years now, and it's something that I talk to my patients in the ICU about all the time. But this is one of the first papers where return to work is the front page headline. It's usually it's, in, in prior analyses, it was one of several outcomes that was being evaluated, and. Now I think this is, um, now that this is a, a headline, I think it's going to change the conversation a bit with patients and their families when the discussion occurs regarding 
what happens after I leave the ICU. What I've noticed in my own practice is that, you know, having done this analysis myself, is that, you know, patients are, you know, are, are very sensitive to, uh, to the discussion about cognitive impairments and physical impairments. But once you talk about returning to work, the conversation gets much more serious. Um, that is, I think that this is a functional outcome that, encompass, that, 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 that encompasses, that, that, that goes beyond just these individual impairments. And because of the economic impact, it really um, hits home quite hard. Um, and so I'm hoping that, that bringing this, uh, this to the attention of the ICU community is going to hopefully um, not only accelerate our efforts to, um, to start addressing and preventing these impairments um, earlier you know, in the ICU, but also start to tailor the interventions once we leave, once patients leave the ICU. I think I think the whole post ICU follow up is is a very exciting field, but it's still a somewhat nebulous concept in terms of what are we doing for these patients. And obviously, every patient has different needs and impairments. And at least this starts to identify some populations who may be at higher risk for joblessness. And I think I think moving forward. This will, this will be a very large, a much larger part of the conversation, which to my knowledge, at least in my own practice, was not a part of the conversation. We'd usually be talking about nursing homes and, and, uh, and, or versus home, or we'd be talking about physical therapy, um, but we wouldn't be talking about the, the, the jobs that people used to do. In fact, sometimes we don't even ask the patients what kind of work they do. Uh, we're, we're too worried about the other issues, but now this is much, a uh, much bigger part of my own conversation with patients, and, and I'm hoping that, that, that this awareness really builds after this, uh, with this analysis. Yeah, you've inspired me a little bit because I'm going on service in the MICU on Tuesday, and I'm going to pay attention more to how much I think about and talk about and probably change my practice about people's return to work. Dale, what do you think about kind of where do we go from here? I, I think that this will help inform our counseling with, with patients and family members around a negative consequence of being critically ill, just in the way that both you and Bieran have said. I think this also gives us, in the context of post-intensive care syndrome, uh, a reason to, to dig deeper and understand what are the unique contributions of physical problems versus cognitive problems versus mental health problems that may lead to joblessness. And I think it really should inspire us to bring yet another specialty into our realm of critical care medicine to help address the problem. So that's the specialty of occupational medicine. So we've begun to embrace OTs and PTs and maybe psychologists, but this is one more uh, specialty within medicine that that we really need to begin to do some collaborations and brainstorming and thinking with them because they think about this every single day for their patients and uh, we may be able to start building bridges there in order to help our patients. I think many other specialties think of critical care as a black box and our job as intensivists and other critical care clinicians is to help unpack some of that black box to make our patients more accessible to other specialists that, that have tools to, to help them. So I think that's going to be incredibly important. 
and and hopefully occupational medicine can also be a bridge in thinking about what are the steps needed to help transition ARDS survivors back to the workforce? What things do patients and their family members and the employers need to think about in building those bridges for return to work, uh, whether it be vocational rehab, accommodations at work, trying to help our survivors reach the, the highest level of their potential after having been critically ill. I think those are important take-home points uh, that we should focus on. That's interesting. It's interdisciplinary to another level that I hadn't even considered. So I think that's great. Have you done any of that partnering with occupational medicine at your home institutions? So so we have Biren and I, along with uh, a team of people uh, from Johns Hopkins, have actually begun outreach to occupational medicine. We had a very interesting meeting not long ago where we invited a rehabilitation psychologist so this is a clinical psychologist who specifically practices in rehabilitation, trying to help people get back to some of their regular activities despite having psychological impairments. So we invited a rehabilitation psychologist, an occupational medicine, uh, a physician and epidemiologist, Biren and myself, and, and other people to, to try to think about what this would be. And it was a really stimulating conversation because the rehabilitation psychologist and the occupational medicine specialist brought perspectives that aren't sort of intuitive to my everyday thinking and really helped me establish sort of a new paradigm in thinking about all of the different factors and the complexity of this. Of course, what we need to share back to these people is the, the profound knowledge that we have regarding the body of literature around ARDS survivors. Rehab psychologists, occupational medicine people are typically not reading articles in critical care journals where many much of this literature is, and we need to translate that to them and partner together in order to figure out what's the best way forward for our ARDS and ICU survivors. That is very inspiring and an interesting space that I look forward to learning more about. I hope that the two of you continue to investigate in this space and continue to share with us what you learn because I think it opens a whole new space for us to think about implications of ARDS and I would say much of critical care on the patient and their family. Um, thank you both so much for your time today. Uh, it has been a pleasure and I've learned a lot. To read the article that we discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Thanks for listening and have a great day.